Listen, I, I preached a message last week about uh, Jabez, if you remember, and I got a lot of feedback, but everybody's favorite part of last week's message was when I prematurely announced Jacqueline's pregnancy. <laughs> Amen. So, but that was, that was a good time. Uh, if, you, if anybody needs a, a baby announcement, just let me know. I'll do it for you in church. You know, you don't even have to get on Facebook. We'll take care of that here. And yes, Shauna is pregnant, by the way. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. She's actually not. Um... But you know, I, I, last week we prayed, we prayed for several people, and sometimes I like to get us together and pray because I think there's something that happens when the, when the church comes together and prays. And we've got, I think, like I said last week, I thought we had, uh, I think we've got six people that are pregnant right now. Uh, we've, had, we've had some, amen, you can clap about that. Yeah, that's awesome, isn't it? I don't know if I've ever been a part of a church with six current people pregnant and about 32 over in the nursery, you know what I'm saying? Like, we got a lot of babies. Uh, we, we got about 700 members and 600 of them are babies. So, uh, but but we're gonna we're gonna get into it this morning. But before we do, I want us to pray together. Um, Emily and Brian Napier they're in the hospital right now, uh, having a, just some minor complications with their pregnancy. Uh, they're a few weeks earlier. She's dealing with preeclampsia, and, and Tony down here is pregnant as well. And she's dealing with preeclampsia as well. But we just want to pray for those babies and for their pregnancies that the, there'd be a healthy delivery, uh, that God would move. We prayed for baby Bennett last week, and he went and got some results, and the results are good. Praise God! So we want to continue to pray for them. And. And there's, and there's somebody that we've been praying for as a church every Saturday morning when we meet. We, we make sure, and we've been praying for him now for months, I believe. But his name is Jace Ward. He's a, he's a family member of uh, Aaron and Suzette Asher. And, and he's, he, he's been dealing with a brain tumor, but he's went through some treatment just this week, and everything is going well. But we're believing that God's going to totally eradicate that thing and, and bring healing in his life. So, we'll, so just before we begin, I'll get into the verse. I'll get into Scripture here in a minute. But, but can we just pray over these things together before we begin? Father, we just thank you so much for your presence this morning. We acknowledge you in this place, God. We lift you up, Jesus, and we magnify your name above every other name because we know, the God, that when we come to you, we are coming to a healer, we're coming to a deliverer, and we are coming to a savior. And so, Jesus, we are grateful, God, that when we pray together as a church, as a body of believers, Lord, you hear our prayers, and we believe that there's power in prayer. So, Father, right now for Emily, I, I believe they're, they're online, God, right there where they're at in that hospital room, Father. We pray that your presence would be there, and we speak a word of healing into her body and into her womb and into that baby, baby Kinsley, Lord God. And we speak peace. We speak over Tony right now. And, God, that you would just bring healing into both of their bodies. And every one of these women that are pregnant, Father, we thank you for a healthy pregnancy, a healthy delivery and a healthy baby, God, that's filled with your spirit in the name of Jesus. And Father, we lift up Jace Ward to you, God, right now, because we believe that you are doing a work in his life in which you're going to receive the glory, Father. And we pray, God, that you would heal him completely, Father, from, from that brain tumor and remove it from his body, Father, and bring complete restoration. We give you the glory this morning. We open our hearts to you to hear your word this morning, Lord Jesus, and we give you the honor for it in your name. Amen. You say amen with me. Praise God. And one last thing, when you connect this morning after service, uh, we've, got, we've got the tithing offering baskets on these chairs when you, when you exit. But we're also, we've got several people that are looking to be baptized. And I'd just like to get a whole number on what we've got to know for sure. So if, if you would, please connect with Tanner at the welcome desk. He'll try to be out there or, or, or Andre or somebody will be out there for you. And just let them know that, hey, I want to go ahead and get baptized as well. And we'll contact you and let you know exactly when we will go about doing that. Amen. 
All right, so we're going to jump into it. Like I said, last week we talked about Jabez in the book of, uh, of First Chronicles. And I want to, I want to cover another, another guy in the book of First Chronicles. Kind of a random dude. I'm on, I'm on this theme where we're dealing with some, some obscure people in the Old Testament, so to speak. And their names have deep meaning. And we, we talked about Jabez's name last week. where His name literally means he causes pain. And we talked about how that ultimately our past and what we've done in our past and who, how people see us or have defined us in the past does not determine our future in God. Amen. I want to get into this, and the message I want to speak to you about is called More Than Conquerors. How many of you feel like more than a conqueror? I, if I'm being honest with you, I don't all the time feel like more than a conqueror. A lot of times I feel quite overwhelmed. I feel like I may not make it through. I feel like, man, I, I imagine all of the worst possible case scenarios that could happen. And when I look at my future, a lot of times if I allow the enemy to influence me enough, my future starts to look a little bit bleak. Anybody else been in that position? But then I I go back into the Word of God and I begin to read in Scripture and sometimes I read things in Scripture and I begin to believe, man, this stuff is just too good to be true. This cannot be true about who I am. But the good news is, is that everything we read in Scripture about God is absolutely true. But everything that God says about us in Christ is true. And in one place in the book of Romans, he says that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And that's what I want to speak about this morning, that we are more than conquerors. In Romans chapter 8, verse 35 through 37, I want to read this, and then I want to read just a little section from 1 Chronicles, and then we'll tie them together. Sound good? So Romans 8, 35 through 37, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now in 1 Chronicles 11.10, it's discussing the mighty men. See, I was looking in the, in the Bible for somebody that was more than a conqueror, and I came across this guy... And I went to the mighty men of David that begin listing them in 1 Chronicles 11, 10. It says, Now these were the heads of the mighty men who David had, who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom, with all Israel, to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. And then in verse 22 it says, Benaiah. That's the, that's the guy we're going to talk about uh, this morning. Benaiah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel who had done many deeds. Notice what he did. He killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. I think that's pretty awesome. He went down into the midst of a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And he killed an Egyptian, a man of great height, five cubits tall. In the Egyptian's hand there was a spear like a weaver's beam. And he went down to him with a staff, rested the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. He's a bad outfit. And these things Benai the son of Jehoiada did, and won a name among three mighty men. Indeed, he was more honored than the thirty, but he did not attain to the first three. And David appointed him over his guard. So we're speaking about more than conquerors, but where I want to begin is with Paul who's writing in the book of Romans to us when he makes this statement more 
than conquerors. That we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now, if you read the book of Romans, it is, it is the most clear, concise, systematic, doc, just doctrinal statement of Christianity throughout Scripture. Romans is probably the most powerful book in Scripture. Throughout history, it has impacted lives. It has caused great awakenings. It has caused revivals. It led to the reformation of the church. Romans is a powerful book that Paul the Apostle wrote. But see, when he writes Romans, it starts out a little bit bleak. Like if you first start out reading the book of Romans, I'm telling you, there's some tough stuff to deal with in the beginning because he begins to lay out that all of humanity has rebelled against God and we've all chosen a different way. And essentially, we've all rejected the knowledge of God in the beginning of our lives, that we were all under sin, whether you're Jew, whether you're Greek, whether you're Gentile, whether you're black, white, or yellow, it doesn't matter. Everybody is up under the curse of sin, that we're all under this law of sin and death and we are enslaved to it. And he says, because we did not like to acknowledge God in our minds, he says, God ends up giving us over to our ways. See, because God will not force anybody to not be stupid. Anybody amen me this morning? morning, right? He ain't going to force you to do anything. And see, when people begin to reject God, it says in the scripture that he begins to hand them over to their sin. He gives them over to it and they go deeper and deeper. And and there's a big list of sin that's going on. And it even uses this language. People in the church have heard about it. If you're not been in the church long, you may not heard about it. But it it uses this language. People talk about it all the time. And it says he gives them over to a reprobate mind or a debased mind. Right. And what I've always heard in, in, in the church was, well, once you're handed over to a reprobate mind, you're all lost. Let me tell you something, folks. There was a time when I had rejected God. There was a time when I had been handed over to my sinful ways and I was given over to a debased mind. I thought evil things were good. I thought good things were evil. But guess what? The book of Romans does not stop at chapter 1. It begins to tell you that all of the people in this world are up under sin. They're all guilty. They're all just defeated by their own flesh and their own sinful cravings. But guess what? The book of Romans teaches us that God saw us in a place where we could not get ourselves out of And He injected grace into the situation. And Jesus Christ came and died in our place. And by His sacrifice on the cross, we can put faith in Him and He gives us justification, which means He declares us righteous as if we had never sinned in the first place and calls us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is is salvation. So we're not left with a reprobate mind, folks. People in this world, no matter how crazy they are, no matter how far gone you think they are, no matter how evil you believe, believe they may be in this generation the gospel still has power to reach in and grab a hold of them just like the prodigal son who was eating from the pig pen and came to his senses we need to be praying that people with this kind of a mind would come to their senses and they would know that the father is running after them to bring them this salvation amen and he gets into this and you're reading the book of Romans you get to Romans chapter 8 and it's like man this is probably the most powerful scripture in all of Romans and it's like to me it's the apex of the Bible it's just like man this is good stuff right here in Romans he talks about our sinful flesh he talks about how there's no more condemnation in Christ Jesus and he's building the confidence of the believer he's trying to convince the believer that even though you're going through some terrible things even though you're dealing with hardships even though you're trying to overcome your own personal sin He's saying you got to understand that through all these things, you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. He's trying to get our minds renewed to who we really are. 
Because most of us as Christians, just like I said last week, we've allowed our past to define us. We've allowed our pain to define us. We've allowed what we've went through to say, well, my future will never be any different. This is the way it's always going to be. And as Clay Countyans, that we've got that mentality. We've always been in addiction. We've always been in poverty. We're always going to be that way. But can I tell you that when Jesus Christ gets a hold of a life, when he gets a hold of a community, when he gets a hold of a church, he's able to build them up and convince them that through him all things are possible. That he can change situations, that he can bring new life, he can bring transformation. And Paul begins to say, look, just like what Forrest said earlier this morning, he makes the statement in Romans. He said, if God be for us, who can be against us? He says, who is it that comes against us with an accusation that says, no, but what about all those things you've done? What about all the guilt? What about all of the shame? What about all the sins you've committed in your past? He said, it is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Who is the one that can bring an accusation against you whenever Jesus Christ has went to the cross on your behalf for your sin? Nobody can bring an accusation against you anymore. He begins to talk about the love of God for you and there's this momentum that is building. And in Romans 8.31, he he says this. He says, "Now, now who can condemn us? And here's the point that he's making. And this is the first point that I want to give you. That people who are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, the first thing that they know about themselves is is that they are loved by God. And I know that's a very simple point. You say, well, everybody knows that, Clay. But let me tell you something. It's one thing to hear it in your mind and and, and know about it. It's another thing to experience the fact and know that, man, God has loved me so much that he saw me in my sin, he saw me in my brokenness, and he did not choose to leave me there. He didn't say, well, you know what? You've crossed the line. You've done too much bad. You've done too much evil. No, he came after me in my sin. The Scripture says in Romans 5 that God demonstrated his love to us in this, that while we were still sinners Christ died for us he didn't wait till we had it together he didn't wait till we put on better clothes he didn't wait till things were going better in our marriage he came after us and died for us while we were still sinners and he drew us to himself and he washed us in his blood and said you are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus see we're loved by God he says this is a demonstration of God's love for us and Paul begins to make it clear in the scripture we read first he says the only way you're going to be defeated is if something could separate you from the love of God. The only way that ultimately you're going to lose in this life is if something could separate you from the love of God. So you know what he does? He begins to go through the list. I mean, some of y'all, y'all probably already got a list. He had his own list. That man had been beaten. He had been accused of being a blasphemer. He had persecuted the church. A lot of people didn't like him. He had forsaken all of his old life. He had nothing anymore. And he said, look, I've been beaten, I've been shipwrecked, I've went through all these things. I've I've been through perils, I've been through trials, I've been through nakedness, right? I can't imagine what that is like, but that's probably a bad ordeal outside. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I was naked one time out front of everybody, they stoned me to death and I was left for dead. But guess what? That did not separate me from the love of Christ. He said, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. See, All of these things, everything that you're going through, and this is the point that I want you to understand, that no matter what you're going through, no matter what kind of trial, no matter what kind of tribulation or hardship, everything that you are going through never separates you, ever separates you from the love of God that is active and working in your life in this moment. And he says, guess what? When I can live in that reality that no matter what I'm going through, I know that God loves me. I know that he's got my best interest in mind. I know that he's going to protect me. Then I can trust and know that if I'm going through this, it is for a purpose. 
It is for a purpose, and he's going to bring me into something. Why? Because he loves me, and I'm settled in that. I'm established in that. And he says, not only that, we are more than conquerors. What that means is, is that Christians have got to get out of the mentality of survival mode. That we're, I'm just trying to get through. We're just trying to navigate it. We're just trying to figure things out. I'm, I'm going to make it. We're going to make it just barely. No, he's saying you don't live like that. You're not just a conqueror. He says you're more than a conqueror through him that loved you. And everything that you are going through is actually just God setting you up that if you will trust in Jesus, he will catapult you into a greater glory because of the hardships that you went through. How many of you look at your trials? You know, the Bible says to count it all joy whenever you face trials and tribulations. It says because, you know, when these trials come into your life, God is going to use them to shape you, to mold you, to make you into something greater than you could ever be without those trials. Amen. But we've always got to remember that we are loved through these situations. And Paul said in Romans 8, 28, everybody's favorite verse, he says, look, I, I believe that all things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Paul had been through more than you and I went through, y'all. Like he'd been through some stuff and he said, but I'm persuaded that everything that I've went through, everything in my life up to this point, that it is all, I'm seeing it all working together for good. Even when I don't understand it, even when it hurts, even when, when, when it causes me pain, even when I see people around me that don't like me anymore, even when I'm being rejected, I'm still persuaded that everything is working together for good because God is launching me into a greater destiny. And let me tell you something, Paul was put in prison, he was beaten, but it is because of the situations that happened in his life that he was able to write this book of Romans. He was able to write a third of the New Testament without which we would not be here this morning, folks, worshiping our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He saw it all working together for good. And you've got to get to a place in your life where you see the hardships and the trials in your life more than anything. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, it's coming from my own life. In the last probably two or three years in my life, I, I've, I've been through small things, honestly, when I compare them to what people go through. But it's so easy to get in a mindset and a mentality of complaining and always focusing on the negative. You know, if you look hard enough, you're always going to be able to find something bad going on in your life. Amen. It's a lot more difficult to come in here and give God thanks for what He is doing, to see all of the good. You see, God set 30 people free, and as soon as one goes back and gets, goes back into a terrible way, you're just like, oh my gosh. Because we expect the good, but the evil and the, the, the bad shocks us. And He's saying, but if we can get in the right mentality where we know that God loves us, we're going to find ourselves to become more than conquerors. Now, in the Bible, I want to teach you a little bit, of, a little, I'm going to teach you a few words this morning. Is that okay? In the Greek language, there is a word, y'all know, so how many of y'all you got Nikes on this morning? Anybody got a pair of Nikes on this morning? Nobody, everybody, we got, oh, we got one man with Nikes on. See, there's a big like anti-Nike boycott going on too in the world. I, I said something to Andre about Nike the other day. She's like, oh, I don't know about Nike. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I got some Nikes. In the Greek language, you know what Nike means? It means victory. It means victory. The Greek, the Greek word for victory is Nike. So, the, you know, the shoe company said, we're going to take advantage of this. We're going to steal a Greek word, put it on our shoes, and make a big swoosh on the side of it. We're going to sell some shoes. And, and they got into that. They stole that word off. And the word conqueror comes off of Nike, and it's Nikeo, okay? It's Nikeo. Now, what, what Paul is saying and what he's writing, and when they use this language, they're using it because they knew their audience. Their audience believed in Greek mythology, and Nike was a Greek goddess, and she was quick, 
Son, she had wings. She'd be on the battlefield, flying from battlefield to battlefield, taking people out, wiping people out right after another. And at the end of the day, when the victory was won, she would put wreaths on those who had won the battle. And he's saying, look, we're not just Nikes. We're more than Nikes, y'all. We're not just going from battlefield to battlefield, from victory to victory, winning victory and, wearing the, and putting wreaths on people. He said, in Christ Jesus, you're already wearing the wreath. He's already defeated the enemy on the cross 2,000 years ago. Satan is now under your feet. You have an authority in Christ where you can learn to live in victory and walk in victory so that when bad things are going on all around you, even when you're going through difficult circumstances, you can know that I still have the victory even in this moment because of Jesus Christ. I'm more than a conqueror. See, but here's the, here's the other thing that he says. He, he creates a word that is only in the Bible one time when he says more than a conqueror. And it's actually just one word. We use the phrase more than a conqueror. He says, you're more than a conqueror. And he says, you are hyper nikeo. How many of y'all you got hyper kids? Anybody? Nobody. Everybody's kids are good. I know. Some, hey, we'll, get, we'll get out of here after service. These kids are running here. They'll start doing laps. So. I mean, like, it's like you get, I mean, this is like, I love them. Praise God. But it, it's wild sometimes. I mean, whew. My heart starts beating fast. I get around kids. You know what I'm saying? That's just like, it's something else. But kids are hyper. And the word, the word hyper comes from, from this idea. It's like it's 1130 at night. The kids been up since 4 a.m. You know what I'm talking about? They've been eating. They've been running. They've been throwing rocks. They've been doing everything. And it's 1130 and they're in the floor doing this. They run up. They drop kick a lamp. You know what I'm saying? And you're thinking to yourself, where did you get all of this energy? Where did you get up? There's an overabundance of energy in this kid. I look at kids sometimes, I'm like, son, where do you get that? Are you on a shot? As I'm trying to get some of that. Like, I'd like to take some of that right before I get up to preach Sunday morning, just be amped, you know what I'm saying? And he's, he's saying it's that kind of overabundance. He says that is infused into the life of a believer when they know they're loved by God and Jesus Christ has defeated their enemies. He says there's that kind of overabundance that you're not just a conqueror, you're becoming more than a conqueror. You're becoming a hyper conqueror. There's an overabundance of energy to go against what is coming against you. See, because we're not just living on the defense, we're taking ground for the kingdom of God. Amen. And we've got to switch our mentality as Christian people that I'm not just trying to survive in Jesus Christ, I'm flourishing in Jesus Christ. I'm taking ground. I'm on the offensive. I'm moving forward. I'm I'm living in an abundant life because of what is going on. See, when you're more than a conqueror, what happens is, is your persecutions, you turn them into prayer. You go through hard times and you just go further. Your problems bring you to a place where you start pressing into God. And your pain, the things that you suffer and go through, you just turn them into praise. Every hard, difficult battle you go through actually is a setup for you to get stronger in God. And why is that? Some people will say, some people will say, well, no, but we don't want to go through that. I don't want to have to go through this difficulty. And most people spend their time praying, God, don't let us go through anything hard. As if the goal of life is to just be totally comfortable and at ease at all times. Do you know that the goal of life is not for your comfort and ease at all times? The goal of life is for you to be like Jesus Christ. The goal of life is for you to worship God and enjoy Him forever. And He's saying, look, if if God answered all of your prayers, right now we're praying for protection, we're praying for... But if God answered every single one of your prayers, you would never be in a difficult enough situation to actually grow. 
Everything would be too easy. You'd become complacent. You'd become idle. It's the pressure. It's the pain. It's the persecution that presses you deeper into God so that you can become more than a conqueror. That's what he's saying. That's what he's moving us into. And here's, here's my second point. See, if you, just like I said, if we move into Scripture and we start looking for somebody more than a conqueror, there's this guy named Benaiah. Somebody say Benaiah. All right. You know, anytime in the Hebrew language you got an ah on the end of it, basically that's Yahweh tagged right there on the end of it. It's a beautiful thing. Anytime you see El right on the end of a Hebrew word like Gabriel, Daniel, right? It's God in another sense. So you got Yahweh, you got God, you got these words. Benaiah means built by God. Built by God. Isn't that amazing? How many of y'all in here you built by God? You know, God builds people. Right in their mother's womb, he begins to knit them together. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Every detail of who you are. The way your body is, the way your mind thinks, every detail of who you are, God's handcrafting you. But see, he builds you with the capacity to grow and change. He builds you and he uses necessary tools in your life. When you become a child of God, you become up under the potter's hand, so to speak. And he's shaping you and he's molding you and he's building you. And he's going to use all the raw materials and the resources of your life. Everything that you have went through, he will not let it go wasted. He's going to use it to build the man or the woman of God that he started with. And see, when God puts his hands to a task, he never takes his hands off of it. And let me tell you something about God. What I love about God is he's not just into building, he's into flipping houses. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like he's, he will take the most rundown, ugly, nasty looking house that you've ever seen. And everybody else said, we ain't going to live there, y'all. We are not going there. And God says, no, that's the house I want right there. Because I'm going to flip it and I'm going to make it beautiful, son. I see an island right here in the middle. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like he sees that stuff and he sees in you things that he can build in you. But you've got to surrender to the process. You've got to realize that, look, I'm built by God. And no matter what I go through, God can turn it for good if I will obey his word. Now, this is one of the biggest things to being built by God. I'm going to tell you this. We work with the guys at Chad's Hope and Forces, the assistant director down there. And one of the things that we talk about often is that in order for a person to change, in order for a person to find freedom and deliverance, one thing is necessary. And honestly, that's desperation. If people don't want it, they're probably, no, it's not probably, they're not going to experience it. If I'm going to allow myself to be built by God, I ultimately have to come to a place of desperation where I say, God, I'm not justifying anything anymore. I'm open, fully surrendered to you taking my life over. You do what you need to do in me. I'm willing to lay it all down. When you find that kind of desperation, you're looking at a person that is about to be set free by the power of God. But when you see people trying to hold on to everything and say, no, I'm going to try to build this thing myself. See, the Bible says that unless the Lord builds the house, the people labor in vain. And a lot of people spend a lot of time laboring in vain trying to fix their own life, trying to take care of their own situations, trying to justify certain sins and say, I'm going to hang on to this, but I'm, I'm going to be okay with this, but I'm going to not let go of that. God, I can't let go of that. I still got to hang on to that. They're trying to build their own house. And I'm telling you, folks, you are laboring in vain. You come to a place where you just say, you know what, God, I'm going to surrender it to you. That's where God begins to build. God begins to move. But see, here's the thing you need to know about Benai is that he had a daddy named Jehoiada. And Jehoiada was the high priest. Jehoiada was the high priest of the lineage of the Levites, which means that Benaiah was supposed to be a priest. But he became a warrior instead. But what I need you to understand is that is exactly the DNA that we need to carry. Amen? That's exactly the DNA that we need to carry. We need to be people that have the heart, that have the DNA of a priest, but have the heart of a warrior. 
The priests would offer sacrifices to God. They would be intimate with God. They would be about worshiping. But then the warriors would be the ones out on the battlefield. But see, Benaiah was both. David was both. They were worshiping warriors. Now, what you get in the church oftentimes is people will kind of split that down the middle. And you'll have some people that say, well, you know, I just love to worship the Lord. I love to pray. I love to read my Bible. But I'm not really interested in working or serving anywhere in ministry. And then you got other people that say, well, you know what? I just like to work. I don't really like to worship the Lord or pray or read my Bible. I just kind of like to sit still when all that's going on. But do you realize that in the kingdom of God, you got to have the DNA of a priest that loves the worship of God, that loves Bible study, that loves intimacy with the Lord, and at the same time says, I'm about to get my hands dirty and get in on the battlefield. And when you've got those two things going on, you've got a more than a conqueror in your sight and in your vision. Those two things coupled together is what made Benaiah more than a conqueror. Now see, Benaiah, it means God builds. If you put that next verse up, Verse 22, it says that Benaiah means God builds, and he was the son of Jehoiada, which means God knows, and he was the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel, meaning God gathers. In other words, God is building you into a place where you come into an intimate knowing and knowledge of him. That's what he's trying to build in you. He's trying to build in you a relationship with the one who knows all things, where you know him more intimately than you've ever known anyone. And out of that knowing, guess what? God is going to build something that his glory is revealed through so that when you speak, when you serve, when you sing, whatever you do, when you're on the workplace, when you're in the job, whatever you're doing, guess what? God gathers people to you because they say where did you get this from? Where did you get this love from? Where did you get this joy from? That's what God is doing in our lives. But see it, it says nothing about Benai's strength or stature. It doesn't say he's a big man. It doesn't say anything about him because I, I think Benai was just a normal guy. I think when God goes to picking people based on what the scripture says, it says that he chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He chooses the weak things of this world to defeat the mighty. And so God will take you in your greatest weaknesses and say, that's where I want to pour my strength into. How many in here can just say, you know what, I got some real weaknesses? Well, praise God because the scripture says that it is in your weaknesses that the strength of the Lord is made perfect. He's not looking for somebody with all the gift and the talent in the world. He's looking for a surrendered heart that says, Lord, I'm weak. I can't get through this. I can't do it alone. And when you come to that place where you recognize I cannot do this, you are setting yourself up for a release of the strength and the energy and the power of God where God can begin to build you and make you into a mighty warrior, into more than a conqueror. Now, it talks about Benaiah. And it says that he really had had three guys. He had three battles that he was going to fight. And these represent three different things. I'll show you this. But if you read uh, a lot of scholars throughout history, they've essentially said that there are three things that we must overcome. There are three things that we ultimately have to conquer in our lives. And one is the flesh, and the other is the world, and the third is the demonic or Satan. Amen? And so he comes to this first battle, and... 1 Chronicles eleven twenty two. it says he had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. Now Moab, I don't have time to get into it, but Moab is a type in the Old Testament of the flesh. Moab was actually born from a guy named Lot who fled Sodom and Gomorrah and his daughters had an incestuous relationship with him after they got him drunk and he gave birth to a guy named Moab. Everybody like, boys, don't let my kids read that story. Amen. Right? There's some some hard stuff in the scripture, but it's a picture of the flesh because they didn't trust God and they went in an alternate direction of God, what God's ways in order to produce something 
that was not God's ways at all. Now the flesh, let me tell you something about the flesh. Y'all know all about the flesh. The flesh is that selfish part of us that even when we want to do the things that God is calling us to do, we feel something else on the inside of us pulling us in another direction. And the flesh can lead to all kinds of things. The flesh can lead to sexual immorality. It can lead to fits of rage. It can lead to anger. It can lead to envy uh, of somebody else. It can lead to divisions in the church, right? It can lead uh, to striving and jealousy and all of these things. And let me tell you something. The flesh will get a hold of you in such a way. I know, I know so many people, they're like, you know what? Let's just rebuke the devil. Let's cast the devil out. Let's do this. Let's do that. Sometimes it ain't the devil. Sometimes it's you. Because you've got a sinful nature on the inside of you. And Romans chapter 8 talks about how the flesh is drawing and pulling you against the Spirit of God's work in your life. Romans 8.13 says it like this. He says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you through the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How many of y'all in here, I've been in that situation where you just let your body, you let your flesh make the decisions in your life. Anytime somebody says anything to you, you just blow it, son. You just go off, flip out. Anytime you have any sexual impulse, you're just like, boys, let's go after it. Let's chase it down. You know what I'm talking about? That's the flesh. And let me tell you something about the flesh. It doesn't care about your marriage. It doesn't care about your children. It doesn't care about your family. It doesn't care about your job. It doesn't care about your future. And people have lost all of these things in their life at some time or another because they could not get their flesh under control. And everybody's been here. We've all been here, folks. This is not just one person or the other. We've all been in these situations because the Scripture says that we all have to come to a place where we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, get control of the flesh. And see, this is what, he, this is what it says about him. It says that he goes up against these two lion-like heroes of Moab, which represent the flesh, and he conquers those. But the question is, is this what you want? Do you want this in your life? The Scripture talks about that. Listen, if you will... If you'll come into a place, see, here's what I don't like about Christianity sometimes when it comes to the church and how they present it. Because whenever I first became a Christian, y'all, I was on drugs, I was drinking alcohol, I was partying, I was doing all kinds of things that were ungodly. And I remember reading the Bible and seeking the Lord and people being like, man, you can't do that. And what the church presents to the world is this. You can't really come to church and get involved with Jesus until you get your act together. And that is the opposite of the truth. You need to come in church and begin to get in the Word of God and begin to pray and begin to worship and begin to praise while you are in your addiction. Because until you start walking in the Spirit, you're never going to crucify the works of the flesh in your life. So while you're dealing with your addiction, while you're dealing with your struggle, come in and worship God. Well, they're a hypocrite. Well, you are too, praise God. Everybody in here is a hypocrite. And we all got problems and we all got struggles. Who cares? Let's just go ahead and put them on the table and say, you know what? I'm trying to overcome. And the Bible says that I'm more than a conqueror. And I may have some battles in front of me right now, but through the blood of the Lamb, through the word of my testimony... And through the power of the Holy Spirit, I am going to put this flesh to death in my life. And you can't tell me to stay out of the church and quit praising God while I'm struggling. While I'm struggling, I'm going to worship the Lord and I'm going to get through this thing. I'm going to become more than a conqueror. And that's what you need to tell your friends who are out on the road addicted to this or addicted to that. You need to tell them, you know what, you can come stand right beside me. We'll lift our hands and dance before the Lord if we have to. Because it's until you walk in the Spirit. You cannot overcome the flesh. And defeat and conquer this enemy until you begin to pursue the Lord. I pursued the Lord for a year with immense amounts of struggles. And I still got struggles. But it was until I started to seek the Lord for myself that I began to overcome these things. 
And that's how we're going to conquer that enemy of the flesh. Secondly, he comes to this place in 1 Chronicles eleven twenty three. It says, and he killed an Egyptian, a man of great height, five cubits tall. In the Egyptian's hand there was a spear like a weaver's beam. And he went down to him with a staff, wrested the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. Can you imagine a man with a staff looking at an Egyptian about eight feet tall with a spear and saying, you know what, I can't whip this dude with a staff, but he's got a spear. Go take it from him. And, and running after that guy, I'm thinking, Benaiah. I mean, you, you, you a bad outfit just, just getting all... I mean, you know what I'd do if I saw an Egyptian with a spear eight foot tall? I mean, that's, that's what I'm talking about. But see, this, we're talking about more than conquerors. We're talking about people who see the odds stacked against them and say, you know what, I believe I'll fight this battle. I believe I'll go for this. Why? Because I got Christ on my side. And if God be for me, then who can be against me? Through Christ, He's made me more than a conqueror. And see, He's dealing with this. Egypt is a, is a picture of the world throughout Scripture, the world system. And you got this Egyptian. He stands representative of the world system. You know, 1 John 2, 15, it says, Do not love the world, nor the things that are in the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I love that. You know why people are addicted to this world and love the world so much? They don't know they're loved by the Father. If they knew the love of the Father for them, and they experienced it, they'd lose their taste for the world. They'd lose their taste for the world. And he says, he goes down against him. I love this too, because when we talk about the world, you know what, most of the time Christians just spend all their time complaining about how powerful the world is, about how, how much evil there is in the world, about how much ungodliness there is in the world. I remember growing up, son, and we talked about, well, the TV's the devil. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever preach that in the church? Y'all ever heard that? Facebook is the devil. Like, I've heard that stuff preached from the pulpit. You know what I'm talking about? And the same people who used to preach that from the pulpit are now using Facebook to put their messages online. And I thank God that they do. That's what we do. But my point is this. You can spend all your time as a Christian believer talking about how bad the world is, how bad rap music is, how bad entertainment is, how bad politics is, or you can go into the world, you can take the spear right out of the hand of the world and say, you know what, we're going to use what you're using right back up against you. If Facebook is of the devil, I'm going to get in there and post some scripture on Facebook. If, if, face, if the devil has infiltrated Facebook, we're going to preach the gospel out on Facebook. If TV is the devil and the devil's using it, guess what? We're going to get on TV and put the scripture and put the gospel out on TV. No matter what's going on, we can invade the areas of politics. We can invade the areas. Of, they say, well, you know, the devil's in the music. Let me tell you something, y'all. We got some good musicians. Amen. Guess who they're doing it for? They ain't doing it for the devil. We can take music. And we can use it for the glory of God. We can take what the enemy has used and redeem it for the glory of God. Because i got to tell you, folks, government, music, entertainment, education, you know whose ideas they were? Not the devil. It's God's idea. And the devil's tried to corrupt it, but he can raise up men and women of God in whom he will give strategy and say, I want you to fight that battle. I want you to not stay away from these things, but go right down into them and take the spear right out of their hand and use it to defeat the enemy that was holding it. Somebody amen me on that, right? See, we've got to learn to bring our people into a place of discipleship. Because right now we say, well, our educational systems are broken. You can't even mention the name of Jesus in the schools. I get that. I understand that. And I ain't trying to tell you to go in and preach the gospel and lose your job. But I'm telling you what, right now there are people that are so far away from God that if you just lived like a Christian, you wouldn't have to say a word, son. 
They see Jesus in your life and love in your eyes and kindness and goodness, and you can impact their lives through what you're doing. You can take it to that. But let me tell you something else. As, as Christian parents, you cannot trust the state to raise your babies. You've got to educate your children in the home. The church has to have discipleship. And this is why it's important. I thank God for everybody that comes on Sunday morning. But listen, it's important that, there, that, that you engage in fellowship, that you get into teaching in Scripture, that you enter into discipleship. Because if you are doing so many things in your life that are disconnected from the things of God, there's no way that you're going to ultimately be able to overcome this world. You've got to find a way to infuse your life with the things of God. You've got to find your way to make sure you're connected with the things of God in order to become not just somebody who shows up every now and then, but a disciple, a lifelong follower of Jesus Christ. And then the third thing that he goes up against, 1 Chronicles eleven twenty two, 22. It says, He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. <laughs> how, many gonna, how many of y'all are you going to chase a lion into a pit? Why would he chase a lion into a pit? I mean, I ask myself that question. Why is this guy going to chase a lion into a pit? If I see a lion, you know what I'm going to do? Like if we see a copperhead, what are y'all going to do? I mean, well, I'll kill it myself. But, but if you see a lion, you're probably going to, like it would, nobody's looking benign. It's all right, dude. You can just run away from the lion. It would be the prudent thing to do. Lions are dangerous. But what kind of father, what kind of community leader would see a lion and know that it's a threat to his children Know it's a threat to the flourishing of his community and not go ahead and take that line out before it impacts the rest of the people behind him. He saw that line. He said, this line is a threat and it ain't going to come in here and take my children on my watch. And that's why he went down into the midst of a pit with this line on a snowy day. See, the line represents the demonic. It represents Satan. The scripture says in 1 Peter 5, it says that your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You know that it says whom he may devour? Because he's looking for your permission. How many of you are just the devil comes in, he says, like, are you afraid? You going to let me take your peace? You say, no, devil, I ain't letting you take my peace. Can I take your health? Can I take your family? Can I take your children? No, devil, you cannot take my children. See, it's one thing. He's looking for your permission. Are you going? He's looking for whom he may devour. And the men and women of God in our hour got to realize that they are more than conquerors. And we're saying, no, devil, not on our watch. You're not coming in taking our families. You're not coming in taking our children. You're not taking the educational system. We're going to stand up against it. We're going to educate our children. We're going to love one another. And we're going to live in the righteousness and holiness and purity of God. And we're going to stand against the enemy in our day. But see, what's even crazier is he picks a fight with a lion in a pit on a snowy day. We were talking last night, some of us were talking about bow hunting. How many people will you bow hunt in here? There's some guys that I talked to, they said, you know what, I just don't like bow hunting. You know, I, it's too hard. I mean, you got to get the deer within like 20, 30 yards. It'd be better off just have a 30 out six. You shoot it at 200 yards. He's talking about going into a pit with a lion on a snowy day. I could see if I had a high-powered rifle on a crisp, clear day at about 200 yards. You know what I'm saying? That'd be a good ideal thing for a lion. But he's saying, no, I'm going down into a pit where I'm enclosed on a snowy day where my visibility is bad. And it's snowing, so I'm, I'm slipping a little bit. And not only that, my fingers and toes are cold. Justin just went down to Colorado. He still can't feel his toes, son. <laughs> he got so cold. It's hard to kill things when you can't feel your hands. How many of you, you've ever been in a situation where your visibility is bad? You're not seeing things good spiritually. You're a little bit numb. You're a little bit cold-hearted. You're slippery. You can't get any traction in life, and you're about to face one of the biggest battles of your life. 
Now, what he could have done is say, man, Lord, why did you even send this line here? He could have got angry. He could have got mad and said, I can't believe you even sent this line here. But see, what Benai understood was that that line being there was a part of his was a part of what God was doing in his life. If God has brought a line into your life, if he's brought an obstacle, if he's brought a pit, what you need to understand, you can see it one of two ways. You can see that pit in your life as your ultimate demise or you can see that as a place that God has set up for you to bury your enemy. And Benai saw it, this ain't going to be my demise. This is going to be the place where God has already dug a hole for me to bury the enemy right here. And I'm going to leave this obstacle, I'm going to leave this challenge right here in my life today because it's over. See, he had a different mentality. He realized and understood that I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. And I'm built by God and God is using my circumstances and the things that are going on in my life to shape me into something greater than I am right now. And here's my last point, number three destined by God. He realized, man, that he was loved by God. He realized that God had him in all things. Every situation he was going to face was going to ultimately work together for good. And he realized he was being built by God. God was doing something in him that maybe he couldn't understand. Maybe it was difficult. Maybe he didn't know his future. He didn't understand things. But he realized, man, God is building me for a greater purpose. Because see, if Benaiah had not gone into that pit with the line on the snowy day, David would have never known about his credentials. He wouldn't have had a resume. Somebody amen me. He would not have had a resume because he never faced any battle. He could not have been the captain of the guard over David's life protecting the king had he never been in an adverse situation. And some of us, we want to run from every adverse situation. We want to say, God, get us out of this adversity. And I'm telling you, God is saying, no, you need to stay in that adversity for a little bit and learn how to pray and learn how to seek my face and learn how to rely on me because I'm setting you up for a greater victory on somebody else's behalf on the other side of this thing. See, it's not just about you getting out of hard situations. It's about God making you into the tool that He needs to use for somebody else in the future. See, you've got a destiny with God. You're destined by God to do some things that you could never imagine. There are people in here right now, God's got a destiny for your life right here in this earth that is greater than anything you could ever imagine. But you cannot get there if you run from the lines. You ain't going to get there if you run from the hard times. You ain't going to get there if every time you say, well, this Christianity stuff is just too difficult, I can't do it. You've got to face some challenges. You've got to win some battles. You've got to come up against the flesh. You've got to come up against the world. You've got to come up against the demonic. You've got to come up against the lies of your past. And you've got to say, no, God is doing something beyond what I am seeing. And I cannot run from the challenge. I cannot run from the hardships. See, adversity has a way of bringing the potential out of all of us. David was praying, Lord, protect my sheep out here. I need my sheep protected. How many of you, you know, y'all know you're praying for protection right now? You pray, And God, I believe He answers that prayer. But here's what I know about God, that if I'm loved by God, that if I pray for something and He doesn't answer it, there's a reason He's not answering it. Doesn't mean I'm not going to keep praying it. I will. I'll keep praying it. And I'll persevere. But if He doesn't answer it, I realize He's up to something that I can't fully understand. See, the Scripture says this, in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, I've read a lot from Romans 8. It says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, God has a predestined destination for you. It's like when you get on a plane. If I get on a plane, that thing's going to Florida. I know before I get on the thing that it's headed to Florida. And when you put your faith in Christ Jesus, you got on a plane, and guess where it was taking you? To be conformed to the image of his Son. 
And His goal is not for your life to be perfect. It's not for it to be painless. It's not for it to be flawless. You live in a fallen world and it will be pain. There will be pain. There will be struggling. There will be suffering. In the scripture, in another scripture, let me give you this one. Philippians 1.29 says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him but also to suffer for His sake. That word granted is charizomai. It means to grant a favor. In other words, He's saying, let me do you a favor. I'm going to let you suffer a little bit for my sake. You imagine God would say that to us? Say, God, I don't know much care for that. And he's saying, let me do you a favor. I'm going to let you go through a little bit of suffering because if you don't go through a little bit of suffering, you're never going to come to me in the way that I need you to come to me. You're never going to seek my face. You're never going to pray. And I'm not saying that that's the only way we would ever seek God's face, but God knows better than we do. And he knows we live in a fallen world and he knows we got an enemy. It's not God who brings the pain, y'all. It's not God who brings the suffering. It's the enemy. See, Benai knew, he said, look, you've come out against me and you've come to steal, you've come to kill, you've come to destroy, but I know that my Lord has come to give life and give it more abundantly. So my question to you is, what pits have you fallen into? What pits have you fallen into? What struggles are you dealing with right now? What kind of lines are you currently facing in your life? You've got to ask yourself these questions because the thing that God has been speaking to me the most in these hours is that the people of God have got to change their mindset about the things that they're going through because so many people are facing difficulties and so many people are facing challenges and rather than running into the challenges, they're running from them, trying to stuff them, trying to hide away from them. And I'm telling you, I know some of you, you've been through pain, you've been through loss, you've been through suffering, and God is saying, I want to heal you. If you'll keep coming to me, you're going to find healing. If you'll keep coming to me, you're going to find strength. If you'll keep coming to me, I will take this moment in your life. I will take this pain and I will turn it into a ministry. I'll turn it into something in your life that you can use. And because of the resume, because of what you go through, ultimately it wasn't what God wanted. He didn't want pain and suffering for you, but He knows that if you have the right mindset about it, if you realize that, one, you're always loved by God. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. Number two, you're built by God. He is building something in you and through you, and ultimately God has a destiny, a plan for your life, and He's using everything that you're going through to cause you to come into what He has for you. Amen? I want you to just bow your heads right where you're at. For some of you, I'm I'm convinced that the next step to your destiny in Christ is just one small act of courage. Sometimes we think it's something massive, but it's really just one small risk, one small step of faith, one small act of courage. And for some of you, that may just be choosing to follow Jesus. Some of you, that may just say, you know what, today I'm going to start following Jesus. I'm struggling with addiction, just like you said, Clay, and and, and I want to start to walk in the Spirit. I want to start to live my life for you. I want to start to pursue you. It could be that. But in your heart, you know there's a step that you need to take. It could be reaching out to a family member. It could be restoring a relationship. It could be applying for a job. But there's one small step, one small act of courage that God is saying, you need to be like Benai. You need to not run from that line. You need to see that line. You need to go down into the pit because I'm about to bury your enemy and I'm about to bring you out with a new resume, with new strength. And I'm about to bring you into a new position because you are going to fight the battle and you're going to realize in this moment that God has made you not just a conqueror, but more than a conqueror. He is building something in you. He is shaping something in you in this moment. So I don't want you to take this moment with God for granted. 
Right now, I want you to pray. I want you to seek the Lord. I want you to ask the Lord, what is it, Lord? Would you give me the strength? But Father, right now, just on behalf of every person that's in this room, God, we just confess our sins to you. And Lord, we repent and we turn to you. And we just declare that we believe that you are the Son of God, that you came to die for us on the cross for our sins. And that because of your blood that was shed for us, we have forgiveness of sins. And we thank you for that forgiveness. We turn to you, Jesus. And we declare that you are Lord over our lives. And we honor you right now. And Lord, for the people that are far from you, God, that feel distant from you, I just pray that, Holy Spirit, you'd begin to draw their hearts right now. Just remind them right now in this moment how loved they are by, by you, God. I want you to know that this morning. I want you to know that you're loved by God.